Amen. Thank you, Ed. This morning, we are uh, going to be diverting just a little bit from our Romans message series. We've been walking through the book of Romans for some time now, and we are taking a break from that. Did you receive a... uh, an info guide that has sermon notes on it. Raise your hand if you did. If you didn't, raise your hand because we'll get one to you. We want to let you know that the insert or, or the info guide was, uh, it includes a, a, the sermon notes for a message that we'll all hear next Sunday. So we're pausing from that and we're going to do something different this morning. And uh, so... We encourage you, if you're going to take notes, and if you don't take notes, your arrogance offends me. So, uh, I'm kidding. I, well, not, not really. But anyway, if you are going to take notes, we encourage you to just use the back page of the info guide because it has blank lines and you can create your own you know, outline. So, it's going to be awesome. Today, we're going to be looking at a book, uh, a, a chapter in the book of Jeremiah in the Old Testament. We're going to be looking at chapter 31 of the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah. And so, uh, the title for today's message is Jeremiah 31. That's it. We don't have a catchy, cute, snazzy, clever title. It's just Jeremiah 31. We're going to spend time this morning in the conversation talking about what happens, what we hear prophesied from Jeremiah to the people, to the Jewish people in this chapter. And I think you're going to be blown away by some of the things that God speaks to his people through Jeremiah. Now, for context, this chapter is written, it is a, it is a, it, these are words from the Lord that Jeremiah writes down and proclaims to the nation. And it has taken place during a very dark time, a really difficult time in the nation's history. Now, a lot of times when we think about the Old Testament and we think about the Hebrew people, the Jewish nation, talked about all the time in the Old Testament, a lot of times we think about like Moses. You know, when he led this whole nation of millions and millions of people out of captivity in Egypt towards the promised land. We think about Joshua fighting the battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. We think about King David doing great exploits and fighting. And we think sometimes of David's son, Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived and how awesome. Some of these stories that I just mentioned were like the glory days of the nation of Israel, of the Jewish people. What we're talking about today is not the glory days, far from it. In fact, if you were to rewind back to when David was king, and then he handed over the throne to his son Solomon, and then at the end of Solomon's life, Solomon's sons really just messed everything up. And the nation divided. And it became two different nations, really, They were all Hebrew people, they were all Jewish people, but they were two different nations called the Northern Kingdom and the Southern Kingdom. Or sometimes they named the Northern Kingdom, they would refer to it as Israel. And the Southern Kingdom would be called Judah. But it was a divided kingdom. It was a nation that at one time was unified 
And now it was divided. And there was all kind of attitude. And there was all kind of judgments. And there was all kind of hate that would go back and forth between the two. It was just the whole nation was in disarray. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Red, blue, purple, gray. I don't know. But the nation of Israel is in. And, and, and to make matters worse, at the time that this chapter was written, both of those nations were being, uh, had been held in captivity by enemy countries. It was horrible. Most of the people from both nations had been taken from their homeland and carried off into exile in the nations that, that defeated them. The, the northern kingdom, there was, there were, you, know, you ever heard of the 12 tribes of Israel, right? 12 tribes. Uh, they were named after the sons of Jacob and a couple of the sons of Joseph. So the 12 tribes of, of Israel, the 10 tribes made up the northern kingdom and two tribes made up the southern kingdom, and both kingdoms had fallen. And the southern kingdom had been carried off, all, most of the population had been carried off to Babylon. Northern kingdom had carried off by the Assyrians. It was just horrible, bad news. And in the middle of that context, this chapter is written that we're, about to, that we're about to read. Now, if you ever spend time reading through all of the book of Jeremiah, not just chapter 31, if you ever spend time reading Jeremiah, I will pray for you because it's hard. It's depressing. It's sad. It's heavy. But right around this part of the book, in chapter 30 and 31, Jeremiah starts to speak hope into the people. He starts to speak that there is hope that God still has a plan. And that's what we're going to talk about today. You guys ready? All right. Now, we're going to start. At, at, Jeremiah 31 begins by, by God saying, one day I am going to be, I'm going to be the God of all my people. He starts talking about dropping hints of unity between the, the two kingdoms, about bringing his people together and bringing them back in relationship with each other and with him. And we find, we're going to start in verse 2, all right? Verse 2, you're going to see it on the screen. Thus saith the Lord, the people who survived the sword. Now that is referring to all the bad stuff that I just described, being carried off into captivity. Some people were actually killed. Verse 2 says, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness when Israel sought for rest. Grace in the wilderness. I just want to leave a phrase with you on this verse. This phrase, grace in the hard places. Somebody type that into the chat. Grace in the hard places. How many of you can relate to being in a hard place? And you, need, you feel like you need grace. You feel like you need God to come through for you. You need to find grace in the hard places. It's one of the most beautiful things God can do on our journey. Is in the midst of a difficult time, He can bring us grace. He can bring us help. We can sense momentum. We can sense hope even when we're in a hard place. Even when we're in a wilderness kind of experience or season of time in our life. 
If you were to rewind again back into the history of the nation of Israel, there was a great Old Testament hero named Joseph. You guys remember the story of Joseph, the coat of many colors and all that stuff? Joseph went through a whole lot, went through decades of difficulty, of being sold into slavery by his brothers, being imprisoned uh, unjustly, being forgotten by those who promised they would help him. But over the decades, God was working a plan, and God brought Joseph into a great position of power in a rival nation. He became the vice president of all Egypt, and he was the man. And while he was in that wonder, he had ascended to that wonderful, important place in Egypt, he got married and he had a couple of sons. And he named one of the sons Ephraim. Say Ephraim. It's very Jewish sounding of you. Ephraim. The name Ephraim means that God has made me fruitful in the, in the land of my affliction. God has done good things for me in a bad place. How many of you want God to do some good things for you in a bad place? Amen? Grace in the hard places. This is the first promise that we find in Jeremiah chapter 31. Even if our situation has not improved. Even when our situation has not improved, we will find grace in the hard places. Be encouraged by that. Now, verse 3 is a somewhat famous verse. You may have heard this verse before. It says, long ago the Lord said to Israel, I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love. With unfailing love, I have drawn you to myself. I have loved you with an everlasting love. What a beautiful verse. Songs have been written from this verse. But if you remember the context in which it was said, what a powerful message that is. That in the midst of a difficult, dark depressing season that God's love has not ended. It's that this everlasting love, this unfailing love that we see written on the screen, the real meaning of those words everlasting and unfailing is continuous. In other words, it never stops. We find in the New Testament book of 1 John that love is not just something that God has for us or that God shows for us. Love is something that God literally is God is love. He cannot stop loving because he cannot stop being who he is. And in this verse, verse 3, he says, I never stopped loving you. I never stopped loving you. I have never stopped. It has continued the whole time. And I've always had a plan to draw you in to myself. And I want to take a moment here and encourage you. Those of you who are sitting in the room, those of you who might be watching on the video, maybe you're watching this live stream or at some point in the future, the message that God wants you to hear today is that he never stopped. He never stopped loving you. You guys ever watch a movie? I'm thinking the first one that comes to my mind in this genre is Cast Away with Tom Hanks, right? A stranded on a desert island or stranded out in the ocean kind of movie. You guys with me? You're looking at me like you're, you, you've never seen Cast Away. I know you lie. We've all seen Castaway, right? Or that kind of movie. People are stranded. And the hope is, the underlying hope of the plot is that they'll be found, that they'll be helped, that they'll be rescued. 
And there's always a moment in these movies and in these stories, somewhere in the early part of the movie or about halfway through, and somewhere off in the distance, you see somebody that might could save them. Now, Tom Hanks is standing on the beach one night, and in the distance, you see the light of a ship sailing by. And you're sitting there watching it on the TV, or if you're as old as me, you watched it on the big screen, and you're screaming, turn around, Tom, there's a boat back there. So he turns around, he sees the boat, so he starts waving his flashlight, and in that moment, you're like, oh, he's going to get saved. And what happens? The boat just goes by. You're like, oh, no, they didn't see him. They didn't get the signal. Have you ever been in a moment in your life, a season in your life, a time in your life where you needed God to rescue you? You needed God to come through. And it was almost as if you were just waving your arms and you were trying to spell SOS on the beach and you were trying to light up something to wave in the and you were trying to get God's attention and it was as if he was just, you know, just passing by like that big ship, Miss Tom Hanks. Have you ever been there? And in your heart, you're thinking to God, how can you not see me down here? How can you not help me? How can you not rescue me? Here's the real truth. Here's the real truth. God sees us. God loves us. And God is rescuing us. And he is working a plan. God is working a plan. Even when it doesn't seem like he is. He is, his love has continued even when it felt like it didn't. And even if it felt like it even shouldn't somehow, God's love has not failed. God's love has not stopped. And that is the, that's the second promise of Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah 31, God is saying very clearly to the people in the nation of Israel during the Babylonian captivity and to us today. He's saying, I never, my love has continued and my plan has not been interrupted. Be encouraged. That's the promise of God. I want you to jump down to verse 9. Verse 9 of Jeremiah chapter 31. He is talking, in, in verse 9, what we're hearing here is God is talking about his promise that, that he is going to bring his children back to a stable place. He's going to bring them back to their homeland. And the promises of Scripture, now we understand from reading the New Testament that everything that happened to people in the Old Testament, everything happened to them as examples and were written down for us as warnings of how we should live our lives and how the life of faith operates. So these promises, these promises are for us too. They spoke specifically into the situation that this divided nation was in all those millennia ago. But these promises are for us as well. And God is speaking them just as clearly today as he was back then. And he's saying to them, I'm going to bring you back to your homeland. He's saying to us, I'm going to bring you back to a stable place. I am going to bring you to a healthy spot. And here's how he describes this stable place that he is going to bring us back to. He calls it 
Well, he says, tears of joy will stream down their faces, and I will lead them home with great care. They will walk beside quiet streams and on smooth paths where they will not stumble. For I am Israel's father, and Ephraim is my oldest child. Ooh, there's that name again, Ephraim. Ephraim, which is one of the northern tribes of Israel. So anyway, God is saying, I am going to bring this nation back together. I'm going to bring them back home. And they're going to walk beside smooth, by quiet streams. What's that sound like? There's another thing in the Bible that talks about leading beside water. Ah, it's the Psalm 23, isn't it? The most famous psalm in the Bible. He leads me beside what? Still waters. I don't, I don't know because I don't do this, but I have friends. Some of you are sitting in the room today, and you will swear to me that if you're out on a lake and you drop a line into the water, you feel God's presence more than you do sitting here listening to my sermon. Isn't that right, Glenn? Sometimes there's just nothing like being out in nature by a body of water listening to the sound of it there's a reason that these verses are in the Bible it's because God says my relationship and my love for you can be like the soothing sound that you hear when you're sitting on the sands at Panama City Beach it can be like the peace you feel when you're walking by a stream while you're walking, walking by that river God is saying, I'm invited. Listen, that's the whole point. This is an invitation. It's an invitation not to give up. It's an invitation not to give in to depression and fear. And it's an invitation to believe that God is going to bring us back into a stable place in a relationship with him. There's another way he describes it here in this verse. Uh, He says, I will lead them. I will make them walk in a straight path in which they will not stumble. In a straight path in which they will not stumble. You got to understand about the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah that this was written to. And you got to understand something about me and yourself. God is promising He's going to bring us into a place where we will not stumble. Guess what all I ever do is stumble. I'm a professional, expert, pro level stumbler. I stumble all the time. I stumble over my thoughts. I stumble over my feelings. I stumble over my actions, my attitudes. I stumble all the time. But God's promise is He's going to bring me into a strong place where there's going to be there's going to be stability. My feet are not going to slip. I'm not going to stumble. Listen, have you ever heard somebody say to you? Or maybe you've heard yourself in your own mind say to you, you'll never change. Have you ever heard those words? Have you ever worried that you wouldn't? How can we change? I'll tell you how we can change because we serve a God who knows everything we did to get ourselves in the mess that we're in. And he says, I can bring you to a smooth path where your feet will not stumble. I can bring you to a place where you won't do the same dadgum things that you keep doing or always used to do. There is hope. There is hope. If there was hope for this 
broken, divided nation that wasn't even, most of the people weren't even living in their own homeland. If there was hope for them, there's hope for us. He can bring us to a place where we won't keep stumbling. Believe it. Trust it. I want to move now to verse 11. Verse 11, check this out. Jeremiah 31, for the Lord has ransomed Jacob. That's another way to refer to uh, his people because Jacob was one of the patriarchs, you know, one of the Mount Rushmore dudes in the history of of the Jewish people. The Lord has ransomed Jacob and has redeemed him from hands that are too strong for him. He has literally ransomed, which means to buy back, to buy back something that's of value or someone who is of value by paying a price that will basically purchase that thing or that person back. This is a, this is a foreshadowing, like a pro- prophetic foreshadowing of the cross of Jesus Christ because through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, we were bought back from, this, from, from the enemy who owned us because of our sins. You ever wonder why, if we think back to the people that were first hearing these words, the nations, this divided nation, that they were all in exile in these different places. Do you ever wonder why they were in exile? Why things had gone so horribly? Why they were a people without a land? Prisoners in foreign countries. Do you know why? Because they had been total idiots. They had totally blown it. They had this wonderful covenant agreement, a covenant relationship with Almighty God, and they had broken it. And they broke it because they wanted to do their own thing. And they wanted to live their own way. Now, in most of our minds, when we see somebody getting what they deserved, having to lie in the... Or having to make the bed, lie in the bed they made. Isn't that the phrase? You're gonna have to, you made your bed, you're gonna have to lie in it. Paying the price, dealing with the consequences for their foolish decisions. There's something in us that says, well, yeah, that's right. They got what they deserve. And yet, here's this God speaking to those people and speaking to us today. And He's saying, I know what you did. I know where it got you, and guess what? I'm going to buy you back. I'm going to buy you back. I am going to redeem you from hands that are too strong for you. I love this language, and one of the reasons I love this phrase, hands that are too strong for me. He could have described it any other way. He could have said the enemy was big and bad and bodacious, and the army was too strong, and the king was too powerful. But he says... I've redeemed him from hands that are too strong for him. The reason I love that is because of another mental picture. Have you ever... Well, look at the phrase. It says too strong, right? Have you ever been in a situation where you just said it's, it's too much? It's too much. I can't handle it. This is too big of a problem for me to deal with. It's too much. Maybe you're going through that right now. I mean, we're just a couple of months into the school year, and you're, we're like, the, the, 
virtual learning and the taking them to school some days and then the, the Wi-Fi is not working and I'm, I'm not a homeschooler. I don't know how to homeschool kids. I don't have time. I don't have energy. I don't have skills. I don't have the... the I'm, this is too much. Maybe you're going through difficulty that is just overwhelming you. No, I understand. Trust me, I do. But God's promise is He will redeem us from hands that are too strong for us. I like that He uses the word hands that are too strong, not just weapons or, or armies or military might or whatever. The reason I'm glad He used the word hands is because if He ever... You ever felt like something had you gripped? Something was gripping you that you didn't feel like you would ever be able to loosen that grip? You'd never be able to un to free yourself. You'd never be able to be free from that grip. God said there is not a grip. There is not a hand that's so strong that I can't redeem you from it. That's the promise. That's what God is saying to us today. Please believe it. And please accept the invitation to come into relationship with the only force in the universe that can release the grip of the stuff that is holding us right now. God will free us from the grip that's too strong for us. And ultimately... This is a reminder that there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. We got to throw ourselves on the mercy of God. And we've got to ask Him to rescue us. It's a beautiful, beautiful, powerful promise. All right, now I want to read you uh, verse 16. Now, it, it, again, we're skipping around a little bit here, but it's kind of an overview Verse 16 introduces us to a character um, named Rachel. Actually, she's introduced to us in verse 15. Rachel is like, you know, the, like Jacob is on Mount Rushmore of the nation of Israel. So is Rachel because Jacob was the daddy. Rachel was the mama. All right. Rachel was the, the greatest woman. In, in, in that part of, of, of Jewish history. And her children, quote unquote, are the nation of Israel. And she is weeping in verse 15. It says, there's like, it's almost spiritually, you can hear the sound of Rachel weeping. Now, Rachel has been dead for generations. But they're saying, the verse is saying, the prophet is saying, it's as if the queen mother, our, the, the mother of our nation, is heartbroken. Because all her children have been carried off to another land. In verse 17, God says, keep your voice from weeping. I'm sorry, verse 16. I'm sorry, you were right. Verse 16 says, keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears. For there is a reward for your work, declares the Lord. And they shall come back from the land of the enemy. I just want to share a thought with you. God is saying, your children are going to come back. There's a hope. I have a plan. I have a plan. And he says to those of us who are weeping, he says, there is a reward for your work, declares the Lord. The hard work, the hard work of looking at the reality of our situation 
of embracing the truth of our story, of where we are, of how we got there, and of how we have no hope unless a power greater than ourselves will rescue us. That's hard work. And it produces tears. And it produces regret. And it makes us think, is there any way that my life can recover from what, is, what we've gone through? Listen, the emotions that come from the trauma that we have all experienced, those are real. And there's this, there's this rhythm in Jeremiah chapter 31 where it talks about weeping over how bad things got and then celebrating and rejoicing because one day God's going to save the day. And God is working his plan. It's this rhythm. And it's an important rhythm. And the hard work of embracing all that truth and letting God guide us and ride those waves of how it feels and how we're going to celebrate one day. Riding that out, it's hard work. But there's reward for that work. And it's worth it. So don't shortcut. Don't try to skip to the end. Face the truth. Stare down the reality and say, this is my story. I'm sticking to it. I'm not going to try to gloss over it. This is the way everything went down. And yet, here I am talking about a God of grace in the hard places. Here I am talking about a God who releases the grip of the stuff that I got myself into. God can do it. He will do it. He is doing it. Do the work. Don't shortcut the work because there is reward for it. And verse 17 said, there is hope for your future and your children will come back. And I just want to say something to all the parents out there. Hey, parents, can you feel me worrying about your kids? I, I, I heard a, a, a wise person tell an expectant mother, somebody, a, a lady that was expecting her first child, and this wise person said, prepare, get ready for never being alone in your own mind for the rest of your life. Parents, are you feeling me? Every single day you wake up, it's on, your kids are on your mind. The promise is do the work, cry the tears, feel the pain, feel the emotion, cry out to God, believe there is hope. Our children will come back to their land. There is hope for our future. Isn't that good news? And then in a few of the verses that follow, we, we're introduced to Ephraim again. Symbolically, Ephraim, the, the great leader of that one tribe that was in the northern kingdom and it says that when people understand and start realizing how far they've fallen they, they feel strong pains of regret and they just beat themselves they're kicking themselves and they're saying I was so foolish to walk away from God and yet I have returned and he has accepted me and then verse 20 God says Ephraim is my dear son he is my darling child even as I speak against him or even as I have to let him deal with the consequences of his actions, 
I remember him still. My heart yearns for him. Every time I think of him, my heart explodes with passion and for this child. This is our God over us. As we're feeling the pains of regret, God at that moment is saying, but you are my darling child. This is our hope. This is the rhythm of, of, of pain and celebration, of truth and of grace. I want to end by showing you verse uh, 33. Verse 33. This is the covenant I will make. And I'm going to invite our band to come up. I don't know if they can hear me, but we're going to wrap this up. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts and I will be their people and they will be my God. The covenant that God makes with us, and he promises in Jeremiah 31, he says it's not going to be like the covenant, the first covenant that I made with them, that I promised to do right by them, and I did, but they broke my covenant. It's going to be a brand new covenant. It's going to be different. And the way I'm going to be different, it's going to be different is I'm not going to write the law. I'm not going to write the conditions I'm not going to write the arrangement of this covenant on stone tablets. I'm going to write it on their hearts. This is the good news. This is how we experience grace in the hard places. This is how we trust that God's love never has ended for us. This is how we believe that there's hope for our future. There's hope for us. There's hope for our children. Is because God has written his law on our hearts. Through the sacrifice of his son Jesus on the cross. God said to us. You qualify to enter into this commitment. This covenant with me. You qualify because I can write my words. On anybody's heart who will let me. This will be our hope. This will be our future. This is who we are as God's people. That even after all we've done, even after all we've been through, that we're his darling child, that we are his beloved children. I am, if you are hearing my voice, if you're looking in my face here in this room, You're a darling child of the Heavenly Father. Yeah, but what about what? What about what I did? What about that? I get it. But the words of the Lord are, my laws, my commitment to you, I will engrave it on your heart if you will let me. I ask you, I beg you, I beg you, accept this invitation. Maybe you've never bowed the knee. Maybe you've never entered into a relationship with God through the cross of Jesus Christ. Let's do it today. Let's do it today. Maybe you feel like you've been so distant from God that you feel like a a person that used to be with God, but now you've been captive in a foreign, strange land for years and years and years. Maybe that's how you feel, spiritually speaking, and in your heart. 
today is your day to come back home. Come back home. Let's pray together and let's ask God to bring us back home. Let's pray together and let's invite God to forgive our sins and start our relationship with Him for the very first time. Stand with me here in the room. Pray with me if you're watching by video. Father, we ask you, we ask you, bring us back home. We ask you, renew our hearts, Lord. We ask you, write your words on our hearts. We ask you, Lord, bring us back to a stable place where we won't slip and stumble like we always used to. Please do it, Lord. Please do it. And Father, for those of us who want to open our hearts to you for the first time today, God, I pray that you would meet us right here as we come to the cross. That you would initiate this relationship. That you would forgive our sins. That you would invite us into this covenant. Lord, we ask you to make us your children in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, we're going to end our worship experience by singing about the beautiful, wonderful, powerful name of Jesus. You guys ready to do that? Wouldn't that be a good way to end today? Amen. Let's do it.